Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today's guest is the intrepid interiors writer and designer, India Hicks. As the daughter of legendary interiors designer David Hicks, and lady-in-waiting to the Queen, Lady Pamela Mountbatten, not to mention the granddaughter of the last Viceroy of India and goddaughter of Prince Charles, whose wedding to Princess Diana she attended as a bridesmaid. She grew up in rarefied surroundings in a sprawling home in Oxfordshire. She trained as a photographer before Ralph Lauren discovered her and persuaded her to become a model after which she spent some years working and living between New York, Paris and London. She eventually married and settled on Harbour Island in the Bahamas, from where she runs her lifestyle company and lives with her husband and their five children. As well as being an avid sportswoman, she is the author of several interiors books, the most recent of which, A Slice of England, is an exploration of her English heritage. She spoke to me about the five things that inspire her most in life, her extraordinary childhood and her feminist heroes. children and they are I have five kids we have our eldest is a foster child um, Wes and then we have Felix um, they're both 21 Amory is 18 and then Conrad is 15 and Domino is 10 a girl at the end can you imagine four boys and then a girl can you imagine her having to bring home a boyfriend what a nightmare we're very very close we all um, have had um, my kids went to, off to school early because on the island there just is there's just nothing. You might need to explain the island. Oh, your living your living situation is quite unusual. It's very unusual. Yeah. <laughs> it's not entirely well, practical. You say we live on the island as if it's just down the road. It's just but. down the road. Um, so I live on a small island called Harbour Island, which is um, in the middle of the Caribbean, and I grew up um, holidaying on a neighbouring island where my father built a really amazing house. Um, or like an Egyptian mausoleum. He was really inspired by all things. Um, so your father was Egyptian. David Hicks. My father was David very Hicks. influential interior That's designer. That's right. So he had he had quite a strong eye. So everybody else lives in normal homes. We had to live in an Egyptian mausoleum. My father also <laughs> designed himself a red cape that he would wear. He had red heeled dancing shoes. He was very very. Um, he loved design. He loved, He was passionate about every aspect of it. He even designed his own funeral. He wow. once designed the nose of a client, not the house, the nose. So he is. Um, he was just extraordinary. Uh, difficult as a dad, very difficult. And I think, funnily enough, moving away and living in the Caribbean really helped. Were you close to him? No. I know you said you were very close to your mother. Very close to my mother. Um, my father and I, we, we struggled with our relationship, um, but I, of course, recognised I, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't have the kind of, the, um, probably the, the, the sort of force of character or the ambition that I have if he hadn't been my father. So he was an amazing, amazing person to have as a father, from a visual point of view, from a, uh, a, a passion point of view. But he was definitely tricky, definitely tricky. Um, but then I often wonder, 
would you want a kind of average dad? Probably not. So, but growing up, it was it was a little bit hard. But um, but we did have an amazing childhood growing up in you know tented rooms of vibrating colour schemes. We all travelled with matching luggage labels that were in sunset orange and turquoise, which of course now I look and think is so incredibly. Do you chic. think taste can be taught? Gosh, huge question. Um, yes. I think also by osmosis. So I never formally trained in any way. Um, so, you know, I have, a, I have a lifestyle brand and we do collections, five collections a year. I, I have no understanding of pattern or, or um, crafting to that degree. But I, I'm an editor, so I know exactly what I like, what I don't like. I know what's f- for me, what's for my brand. I, I hope we're beginning to have more of a DNA within the brand. And that definitely comes from growing up around, around it all. Having said that, of course, my father grew up as the son of a stockbroker from a very unpretentious, middle-class, average background where there was no excitement um, of any, from a design point of view, there was no design excitement at all. So my father had it. He was born with it in him. There was something innately... um, that innately drove him to the world of creativity... So I think, I think you can learn it. I mean, he taught himself everything, but he, he never stopped, ever, ever, ever. He was always curious. And that's, I think, fascinating too. Um, what would be the first thing that you'd put into your cabinet? It's so hard, because when I was thinking about it, there's, there are just so many things that it kind of inform you. And quite a few of the things that I thought had sort of changed me or influenced me aren't actually things. Um, I, I think if I had to put something in there, it would. the f- starting point for me would be the beetle. Um, we live in the tropics and we have a wonderful beetle who's a gentle chap. He comes often into our home. He is an uninvited guest, but he's a loved guest. And I always say he's brought me much love and luck and happiness, definitely. And when I started with this company, I wanted a logo that wasn't necessarily um, aligned with my dad or my heritage. Of course, now we do have an IH that's very strongly affiliated with the David Hicks H, but that came after. So I, I, I went out of the gate with the Beetle, and I think the Beetle is, is no, the Scarab is good luck throughout the world. Um, and I wanted something that felt a little different. It was rather like Marmite. People either loved it or hated it to begin with. And, you know, we were, we were talking to women in you know, the middle of America who strongly reacted against the Beatle and said, wait, I don't want this weird creature on my handbag or on part of the business or my business card. And now it's really interesting. Now we hear much less of that. Now they kind of see him as the sign of good luck, that he's, he's the thing that holds us together. What are, just, just on the things that you design, um, do you want to talk a bit about the stuff that you, that you sell? Yes. Of course, I always want to talk about everything that I sell. Um, So it's a true lifestyle brand. Um, And it is really, it tells the two chapters of my life. It's called India Hicks London Harbour Island. Um, London, you know, my English heritage growing up here in the countryside. um, A very formal British upbringing. So the collections are always, they're hinged on either the London or the Harbour Island. So in spirit, there can be a beach collection or in spirit, it's an adventurous collection or in spirit, it's an English collection. 
But also, um, you know, I travel a great deal. I love to be inspired by different parts of the world and different people that you come across and meet. So uh, for my 50th, my fucking 50th. Um, Congratulations. Uh, I, uh, and actually, funnily enough, I don't care about being 50. I'm just so surprised at how I got here so quickly. <laughs> That's the bit that's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, but I took my kids and David, my other half, to Africa um, last July. We had the most incredible trip, really, really memorable and very meaningful for all of us in different ways. Even my 10-year-old was very inspired by it. Um, you know, we jumped from the Victoria Bridge into the falls before, you know, that was just unbelievably terrifying. And we camped on the in the desert where it where there was no wind, no animal, no vegetation, no nothing. It was just like living on the moon. It was unbelievable. And we were in tents in these mobile Whereabouts tents. Whereabouts were you? In Kenya and Botswana, and then we went down to Cape Town. I have a son who's a big surfer, so he wanted to go surfing. We were all wrapped up in woolies, and he was out there in the water surfing. Um, but it was an amazing adventure. And so, of course, I came back and said, I have to do an African collection. Um, I love animal prints. I love canvas cotton. I love army green. I love all of the kind of colors that we saw in Africa, the kind of very muted, rich, um, natural colors. So we did an out of Africa collection. And I wondered, how is this going to work in America? Are the ladies in Idaho going to respond to this? And actually, we always find that there's parts of the collection that somebody finds they love. So that's good. We're, we're now doing so many that that people, as I said, can curate their own. And that's really important, because this business is their business. Mm. Um, and what's the second thing you put into your cabinet? Well, I think my understanding was this could be anything that kind of inspired and had threads off into different parts of one's life. Um, Beryl Markham, funnily enough, is, um, I don't think we could quite squeeze her in there, and she's definitely dead, so that'd be a problem as well. Photograph of her? Photograph of yeah. her. Um, again, when I, A, when you're travelling and you think, even when I'm on, on Harbour Island, we fly into an island called Luthra, which means freedom, and there's a wonderful preacher's cave there that I go there a lot with my kids, and it's a huge cave, and it was actually when, when some of the first settlers came, they got shipwrecked. They ended up in this cave and they made an altar in the cave. And you just think about those women who were dressed in corsets on ships, travelling in the Caribbean. I mean, the fortitude you must have had. And in the same way, Beryl Markham, look at her. Look at that kind of woman. Um, and Karen Blixen, and I think they were very good friends. But imagine surviving as a woman not only just having to wear those outrageous clothes in the heat and the tropics and all the rest of it, um, and in Af the African heat, but also as a woman trying to find your own voice in a time where you really weren't allowed to have a voice. And I think it's just extraordinary what they did, and especially Beryl Markham, to be able to fly like that and to be so adventurous and just to think, I'm going to bloody do it. I mean, when you read about what she took with her on that, Transatlantic journey. I mean, extraordinary things. Like so she was an, a, a, an aviator. She was an aviator. Yeah. yeah. So she she took an extra wool coat. When was this? It was at the turn of the century. Yes. Early yeah. 1900s. Yeah. Yeah. And and a flask of coffee. You know, I mean, the things that are just so funny that you would just never think of taking now. You know, we'd have these tech fabrics that we'd all be wearing, <laughs> and the, the the sort of sat nav guiding us through. Yeah. But you've got to have some balls to do that. So I, I would love to have just the whole, the whole era, the whole image, the whole, the whole essence of Beryl Markham and those women 
you know, nowadays we've got it so much easier. It's still tough, but it's a hell of a lot easier than it was then. Can you explain a bit about your background and upbringing? Because by all accounts it sounds fabulous and really, really interesting. Yes, I, I think my brother, sister and I are lucky in that we had such a diverse background and the fact that my mother... Um, well, my grandfather, my mother's father, was the last Viceroy of India, which is why I got my name. And my mother was in India during partition, um, and so 1947 sat with Mahatma Gandhi during prayer meetings um, and saw a country on the verge of a civil war, which I think made her a very interesting person. She's very forward-thinking, she's very open-minded. She came back to England after that period, and I think found it very hard to settle down. All of her contemporaries were doing frivolous things like coming out parties and thinking who, which duke they were going to marry. And my mother really was um, still, part of her soul was still in India and what she'd seen and what she'd lived through. And, and I think that, that that really made her um, this very um, different person from who, what people would expect coming from that background. She was a lady waiting to the Queen, so went on several Commonwealth tours. She was actually with the Queen the moment she became Queen, which is a fantastic story. That's her story. Um, and, and I think then marrying David Hicks, she had a very second chapter to her How life. did they meet? They met at a cocktail party in Cheney Walk, which was, which was unfortunate in the fact that they were going to call my sister Cheney, which would have been... Not good, I don't think. Uh, they ended up calling her Edwina after my grandmother, who was an extraordinary character as well. Edwina Mountbatten was... One of my great regrets is not meeting her. I don't think she was a terribly cosy mother, but she was a startling character for sure. Um, and, and also an adventurer. And, and changed the lives of many later in life, where she became very serious thinking, having grown up as a great heiress and, again, rather frivolous with her life. But then during the war, really put all of that money and that effort into something and, and was, was very remarkable during the war in making change and getting out to Japanese war camps and, and, and helping people in, in so many ways because she had access and she put it to good use. Um, but I think my mother had very imposing parents and then had a very imposing husband. Um, and so I think spent a lot of her life in what she would call the shadows, probably. In actual fact, um, she, is, she really should be the, the, the front and foremost because she's, she's very, um, very entertaining, um, a brilliant mind. She's 89 um, as of last week and um, just... Um, wise and and human and all of the things one would hope to find in somebody. Um, how do you stay in touch with her when you're... So she, her name's pa, it's Pamela. Pamela, Hicks, yeah. Her name. Um, how do you stay in touch with her when she's... Does she, where does she live in? Is it Oxford? She lives in Oxfordshire. So I, have, live in I, well, I've, I live in Harbour Island, but I've just built a house that's two fields away from her, which is the book that I've just done, which is called A Slice of England, is about the houses I grew up in, indeed the house I've just built. So two fields away, so we're very, very close. When I'm in Harbour Island, we speak every day. Um... And she's, she is somebody who is, a, she's a reader, a phenomenal reader all the time. So she's always engrossed in a book. So she doesn't miss people. So she, she has always been very good on her own and within her own company. Um, and I'm always on the go and have, you know, I'm a whirling dervish, which exhausts her. Um, so it works very well. We're, we're together an awful lot. And then when we're separated, it, it's, um, we cope. 
Mm. And is it true that Prince Charles is your godfather? He is. He is. He's a very good, loyal, considerate godfather. Um, and uh, we see each other infrequently now because I'm, I'm so little in England. But, but um, he was kind enough and generous enough to invite me to be a bridesmaid at his wedding. And, and uh, there are times where I think, Good you, Lord, will I ever be anything other than yeah. Prince Charles and Lady Diana's bridesmaid? Hopefully now. Did you enjoy it at the time? Um, you must have loved the, wearing that dress. No. No? No! Danielle, that was the pit that was the hardest. <laughs> that froofy 1980s dress. I loved, I love, I mean, looking back, how it was, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, I, I rode in a horse-drawn carriage down the Mall from Buckingham Palace. So that were was... you in the same carriage as Princess Diana? I wasn't. No, I was in it. I was no, no. Her father was in that carriage and all of that ridiculous twenty-five-foot train. Yeah. Um, and then when she left, obviously her uh, with her and Charles from the carriage, I was with Prince Edward um, and two of the other bridesmaids. Um, but nevertheless, I was in a carriage with horses drawn. So it was it was incredible. Um, but it was, you know, that was a that was certainly a fashion moment. That was a fashion yeah, moment. A I'm not a 1980s kind of girl, so that was a struggle for me. <laughs> Even then. Mm. Mm. Um, what would what else would go into your cabinet? Uh, you know, I, I as I said, I have five kids. Um, I have a big. Not a big business, but I have a business that, that's big and it's all-consuming in my life. Um, so finding the balance between motherhood and business is always a huge struggle. But I'm very, very close to my kids, although I travel an awful lot. And I think they've now, they know, they understand I founded a business that's important to me and that um, I work. And they're good about it, but I, they come first, definitely. And I'm always thinking of ways that keep us close and connected. And, and, and I thought of the, uh, my collection of legacy letters that I designed um, because they were part of my childhood and they're very much part of my children's childhood. Um, my father designed this amazing geometric alphabet. And of all the things that have been copied from my father's work, this is something that I feel I, I've kind of, in a way, sort of taken ownership of because I, I grew up, it was really the wallpaper of my life. It was absolutely everywhere. Towels and tea cloths and ties, everywhere, this, this bloody geometric alphabet. And of course, now I love it and I love the individual letters and I think they're very personal and yet they look like a hieroglyphic and they're very David Hicks. And they're, 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 I, I can't do strong geometrics, but this I love. So I designed a legacy letter collection based on that. And my two eldest kids, Wesley and Felix, much to the horror of David, my own David, uh, got them tattooed on their arms in matching places as brothers. And it's beautiful. The black skin of Wesley and the white skin of Felix. Um, and the W for Wesley and the F for Felix. And I thought, Lordy, if my kids have to get tattoos, at least I've designed them. Um, and then all my other kids wear the, wear the necklaces around their necks with their letters. And, and it works for the boy and it works for the girls. Or rather, it works for the boys and it works for the girl. Um, and so I probably put one or two of the legacy necklaces in the cabinet as well. My, my own childhood, my kids' childhood. And do you want to tell the story about how you ended up living in, on Harbour Island? 
because I know you were involved in art. You studied. You, you went to college for a bit. Was it? I did um, for photography. Photography course. I um, did, um, and then I, I fell onto the wrong side of the camera. Um, ended up being a model for a bit. Why is that the wrong side of the camera? Did you not because feel at I home was, there? Well, no, I was meant to be a photographer, and then I and then I'm on the other side of it, which was weird. When I was when I was going about building this business, um, there was a a very a, a very corporate business orientated woman who was kind of advising me on getting a financial deck together and all the rest. And she said, you mustn't mention you're a model. Don't dress like a model. Don't mention that part of your life. People won't take you seriously. And it kind of scarred me. I thought, oh, my God. And now, thank God, I've, you know, sort of five years into this, it took a year and a half to, to build the company. I'm kind of like, it's okay. You can be a woman in business and you can still be fashionable. You can be a woman in business and you can still say, I was a model at times. Yes, I was probably a bit of an airhead. Um, but nowadays, you know, the modeling business is a, is, a, is a very strong business and those girls work it um, and they're smart and they're savvy. Uh, whether I would want my own daughter to be a model is another question. So I, I, I spent time training to be a photographer ended up becoming a model, but had the most incredible time working with people I would not otherwise have met, travelling the world. Who, who, would, who did you work with? So I worked with, with Ralph Lauren um, quite a bit. Did he personally discover you? Or yes, you in a way. Because he has a sort of certain aesthetic and you obviously fitted into that yeah. look. And I think also, the again, the kind of my story worked with, you know, his world. Um, and I, I, my father was being interviewed by a journalist for W magazine. And it was, I can't remember, I think it was called Gardens of the World or something. And I was asked to give the, the journalist a lift down. And we started chatting. And by the end of the car journey, he said, but wait, I want to photograph you for W. So he did a story on something called New Beauties. And I was in it. And Ralph Lauren saw that story. And that's where that started. And funnily enough, my relationship with Ralph wasn't so much of being the, the, the model, but it was being involved in the world of and um, being invited by him to go to fashion shows and be an ambassador for the brand. Did and you spend time with him? I did, yes. And, and he's been very generous throughout my career in, in sort of, you know, following it to a certain extent. Um, and, and when we were talking about, you know, threads of what inspires one, I think the world of Ralph Lauren, especially when I was in those early days of modelling in the 80s, it was so strong and it was so dynamic. And the idea of bringing every aspect into a fashion brand, I think, was very new. And so I can relate in many ways now, and I find him very inspiring in the fact that I'm, I'm not a designer, I'm a curator. I think he's a curator too. And, and I try to live my brand completely and utterly in the way that I carry a bag or get in and out of a car or run through a field of poppies or whatever it is. It's, it's all part of the brand. And I think Ralph was very good at that, especially mm -hmm. then when he was right there steering that every step of the way. I mean, Bruce Weber absolutely was there beside him and together they created this sort of amazing world I mean that black and white world of those extraordinary images that you see and and I find that very exciting and I found it very exciting then and I still find it very exciting I think the brand has you know has gone in a different direction and and but I think there's also 
Ralph was very family-fied and I found that inspiring. It was about Ricky and it was about the kids and it was about growing up and letting people into his world. Did you hang out with them? A, a, a little bit, What's he no. like? What's he like as a person? Ralph? Mm. Um, meticulous, imaginative, family-fied and not one would expect, not social. Um, would prefer to be at home eating a very good hamburger than being out at a party, but but always moving forward. You know, I mean, now that the the restaurants are the new chapter, and you know that the the polo bar in New York, you know, is you know one of the places to go. I mean, that's amazing. After a brand that was formed whatever fifty years ago, that they can still have these, you know, these new incentives and drive ideas. So, so I think it's it, timeless, and and that I love too. I'm very much part of that. Were you living in in New York at this time, or? I lived well, between Paris, New York, London, really. Um, I, I took the photography course in Boston, but New York and Paris, yeah. And how did you end up living on Harbour Island? Oh, goodness. So my father built the house on the neighbouring island the year I was born, so we've been going there all our lives. And every year we were taken up to boring old Harbour Island to look at the boring old architecture, and I couldn't have been less interested. Um, you know, I love the buckle on your shoe, but the, the cornice on, a, on an 1800 clapperboard house did not interest me at that stage. Um, now, of course, I appreciate it so much. So really, I, I would travel across. I can always remember going across at about the age of five on the little boat from Eleuthera across to Harbour in the turquoise-coloured sea and just dreaming of ice creams and not, not clapperboard houses. Um, and then, and then I, I spent some time down on Eleuthera um, by myself, and somebody reminded me that David Flintwood was running a small hotel up on Harbour Island, and he had been a friend of my sister's, and we had had a brief flirtation when I was about 18. And so I went over to Harbour Island under the pre pretense of going diving. I did a lot of scuba diving then. And I re-met David, and four months later, I was pregnant. Yes. And then I never really left. And been there for 25 years. What's it like living somewhere like that? Or living, not somewhere like that, what's it like living there? Interesting. Not always what people expect. It's not about dreamy walks on pink sand beaches and gentle breezes. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of hard work that goes into creating a life and sustaining a life, especially 25 years ago when there was no one and nothing. Um, Chris Blackwell had just started um, you know, making pink sands hotels something. But there was very, very little infrastructure. You certainly couldn't find a piece of smoked salmon, and now there is a bit of smoked salmon around. Um, there, there was very little contact with the outside world. There was, you know, it was a very gentle pace of life, and a few loyal families from America who would go there every every Easter. The season was very short because the heat was considered too much. You know, now there are swimming pools and air conditioning and fashionable people and life and it's busy and it's social and it's, you know, it is a hot spot. Um, back then, nothing. You know, I, I fell pregnant and I couldn't have the baby on the island. There was no, there was no doctor, there was no clinic. There, well, there's a, there's a very small clinic. They don't allow you to have it, give birth there. I'd have to take a boat and a plane and fly to another bloody country to see a doctor about having the baby. It, it was difficult. There's a three-month hurricane season where the island shuts down most years. Um, and, you know, people don't live there year-round. They don't do the grittier side of island life. People come 
And there are an awful lot of people who come and they think they live there now, but they don't. Do you live there year-round? We live there year-round. My so children all went to school there. during hurricane season when you're living there? We stay there. We absolutely stay there. Most of the island evacuates. We stay there. We put on our shutters and we hold on to our hats and we pray. Um, you know, people get... People leave the island because they're, they're, they're nervous, and I understand that, but it's our home. We, you know, my dogs, my cats, my tortoise. What am I going to do with all of that? I want to be there. Um, I'm off, off on the one flying back into the eye of the storm to try and get back to the island whilst the last plane's leaving. Um, but um, it's, it's important for us that we're, you know, we're part of that community. Um, we want to be there. What else would you put into your cabinet? You know, I've got so many different sides of my life. So I've got... We've said the beetle, which is about the business and, and the legacy, which is my kids and my childhood and Beryl Markham adventure and, and, and a, a strong woman. Um, you know, probably one of the things island life that I crave is, is we miss seasons there. And I crave flowers, fresh flowers. We get, we get tropical flowers, so there's a lot of bougainvillea and hibiscus. They don't last. And... And they're, they're strangely unfragranced. Actually, we have night-blooming jasmine that's very, very fragranced. But I miss my father and mother's incredible rose garden in England. And so a rose, funnily enough, an English rose, um, the fragrance of it, the meaning of it, the, 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 the design of it. Um, and I think, again, it just sort of represents a part of my life that, that I, don't, I don't have so much anymore. Um, and my, my parents very much fill the houses with roses all the time. So, again, it, it's very meaningful for me. So I think, yes, I kind of, I kind of visualise it, the picture of Beryl, the rose, the beetle. <laughs> yeah, um, the I'm visualising it. It looks fabulous, yeah. And do you find, do you, do you entertain lots of guests at your lovely house? Do you have people coming to stay a lot? Yes, we do. We absolutely do. And not, enough, during, not during hurricane season, Not during season, hurricane presumably. season. No, we have friends of family and friends of fam, uh, friends of friends come and stay. Um, we we, we realise that guests like fish go off very quickly. Uh, so we built a guest house in the back of the garden um, so that, that people can stay. And of course, coming to us, it's normally a long journey. So, you know, they, they stay for a while. And interesting, the, the, funnily enough, the last thing that I would probably put in the cabinet is absolutely absurd but relates back to guests coming to stay so we had the Dysons come and stay young couple son of the great man himself um, and they brought me as a gift the Dyson hairdryer I don't know if you've ever experienced it it's new and it's out in the market and it is unbelievable uh, because I don't have time I don't have time for anything um, and the Dyson hairdryer will dry your hair very 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 quickly and that's all I ever want I want anything that does something for me quick so it's like the equivalent of the Dyson hand dryers that you stick your hands yeah, in that dry your hands but it's a hair dryer and it's an amazing design it's super cool so very modern very sleek um, and it's got this sort of central tunnel that goes through so you see through it it's, it's really cool um, and so they came, I loved them both, they were really interesting, and they brought this great present. I don't use it on the island because I'm always, I have wet hair, I don't care. But today, for example, leaving Oxford, getting here, that the hairdryer just super quick. And, and I love the idea of having something, something kind of quite modern in there because I'm real traditionalist. Um, so I thought, actually, the Dyson hairdryer, it's a beautiful design and it's just bloody genius. <laughs> I love that. 
you're obviously known for your own taste in interiors, um, and I was going to ask where you go to for inspiration in that area, which books do you like to look at, um, whether there are amazing Instagram accounts you follow. Ooh, interesting. Um, uh, you know, I, my brother did um, my father's scrapbooks into a, a compendium of them all. Um, and I have a very brilliant brother, very, very bright, very clever. Um, and he, um, he had the, the great idea of taking my father's amazing scrapbooks. So I'll often go through those because there are invitations or um, airline tickets or photographs from when he was traveling. And, and it sparks something, either a memory or a design thought or an inspiration for something. Um, so his books are amazing. Um, you know, that we have in our sitting room have that huge Peter Beard book. Um, again, you know, I love wildlife. I love scrapbooking. I love smudges and texture. And so I think all of the Peter Beard, um, that's all amazing. I know Peter Beard and, and I've spent a tiny bit of time with him. And he is, he is everything that you think. He is phenomenally good looking and just naughty and irreverent and has, you know, fucking brandy for breakfast um he's just everything that you has love. he been to stay with you no but we went out to montauk and spent some time with him there um and 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 again just just a character you know i love a character love characters um so peter beard book the david hicks books um instagram accounts you know i'm an instagram junkie uh, which is tough when you're telling your kids you do not sit at the dining table and look at your screens and of course you're longing to see what someone's posted um uh, there are lots of amazing Instagram accounts out there, um, and I love the fact that we kind of form relationships through. My brother married someone he met from Instagram. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, my mother finds it just, you know, unfathomable. She cannot begin to understand this whole world. Um, I think if you do it carefully, it's a very good thing. My David always just describes it as a, as a postcard, a daily postcard. We're not always with our friends and family, so it's nice to post something all the time. Um, actually, David, David Flintwood, my, my other half's account, is interesting. I think it's interesting for a man to see a man post. Um, it's not girly and, and pink. Um, his are thoughtful and they're romantic um, and... That there's a there's a point to them. He doesn't post daily. He points when he posts when it means something to him, um, and I think it's very revealing as to who he is as a man as well. Um, and sometimes I think, dear God, this unemotional Englishman I'm living with. And then I look at his Instagram account and I think, my God, there's there's you know there's so much depth to him. Um, David's actually incredible and. I think half the reason that we've been together for 25 years and we can live on a small rock is he has a fascinating mind and he is a reader as well. So every day I'm learning something from him. He may be a cold, unemotional Englishman in the front, but deep down inside. Uh, he's, a, he's an Instagrammer with a heart. <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks, India. Thanks for talking to us. It's been so enjoyable. Thank you. episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.